Interesting. He's dueling. Because he wants right, Who had the Queen of Spades? Evan. Well, this is bad, because Ed's probably going to win right here. Uh, Queen of Spades? Yeah, my... One, two, three. Oh, it's a tie! Oh! Wait, 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 there's rules for a tie. There's, there's tie rules for a tie. Just flip again, I'm guessing. If it's a tie, no one hands over a card. Okay. Turn is over. <laughs> Welcome to Which Game First, where we explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we try to keep our sheep afloat in a sea of random numbers in Turn the Tide. Next up, we create civilization for random cultures in Hadara. And lastly, who's up for some random dueling over aces and kings in Up for Grabs? I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis, here with my decades-long gaming buddies, Evan Bernstein. Hello. Ed Povolitis. Hey, lick game. And Mike Grenier. It is I. Our first game up this week is Turn the Tide, designed by Stefan Dora. Published by Amigo and GameRight in 1997. Number of players, 3 to 5, ages 10 and up. Playtime, 30 to 40 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us, what's in the box? A seagull saddled with a life preserver around its neck sails gracefully over a lighthouse surrounded by sheep on the cover of Turn the Tide. Inside the box, we discover 60 weather cards, 24 water level cards, and 24 life preserver tokens. And that's what's in the box. Before we dive into the briny depths of this review, Evan, tell us how it's played. Turn the Tide is a card game in which players are trying to keep their sheep afloat as the tide comes in. A deck of cards numbered 1 through 60 are dealt out 12 cards to each player. Each player receives a number of life preserver cards based on the strength of that player's hand. A different tide deck of 24 total cards with values of 1 to 12 are on the board. Two cards from the tide deck get turned face up each turn. Players choose one card from their hand in secret and then reveal them simultaneously. The highest value played takes the lowest scoring tide card, which goes face up in a pile in front of you. The second highest played card takes the second tide card. Then look at everyone's face up deck. The highest scoring player turns one of his or her life preserver cards over. At the end of a round, players score according to their life preserver cards that they managed to save and not turn over. Players then pick up all the cards in their playing hand and pass it clockwise. So as each round commences, you are using the cards previously used by your neighbor. Can you stay afloat and turn the tide and preserve the win? Uh, <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah, some of those rules are a little confusing. It's yeah. really being the second highest card that's the stinker. Because you end up with, with no choice of which tide card. Well, that's not always bad. Sometimes the uh, the highest tide card uh, of the two offered is better than the 12 sitting at the top of your pile. So I'll take that 8 because it's better than 12. 
Yes, right. But you don't know if you're going to be the second highest card no. or not. <laughs> I mean, you want to play so that you don't get any tied cards in front of you, ideally. But Unless the two that are there are lower than the one you have, which is going to make you the highest. Mm-hmm. Then I might want to play a very high number card out of my hand in order to grab that because it'll guarantee me that I can go down in my tied card. Exactly. So I think we've established that you. <laughs> <laughs> this is a tricky, it should be called Tricky Tide, oh. I think. <laughs> Except for there is already a game with that title out there now, Tricky Tide, although it's a newer game. Yeah. I know, I know, which we enjoyed. Yeah. So let's find out if we like this one. Let's talk about the look first. We played this on Board Game Arena. It had a cool sound effect. (laughs) Yes. When, I think it was after each turn? Or was it when you pulled the highest card? I think a sinking noise, like a splash into the water. I think that was the end of the round. If you had the highest uh, showing card, you drowned a little bit and you lost one of your life preserver tokens, which are the points you score. So at the end of each game, the number of life preservers you have is what you score. And if you don't have any, you're eliminated for the round. So if you lose all of them, you're still in it. You can still play, but. If you lose the last one and then lose another hand, then you get a negative. That's like a double of your your work uh, mechanic there, Mikey, right? Yeah. Negative points and you get uh, eliminated for the round. Yeah, for our patrons, we just did a show, a uh, short show about our, our least favorite game mechanics. And that those two were both on my list and they were both in this game. <laughs> okay, okay, let's see. We've got a 12 and a 4... I don't know what to do here, guys. I know Ooh. what to do. I'd right. say get the four. Wish me luck. Wish I'd me luck. I'd say get the four out of there. Oh, yeah. Ed said no. I'll take that four. Oh, Thanks. Boy, oh, boy. Bad so it's for me. me. Oh. So there's two eliminations here. Yeah. Well, so not yet. I'm not. I'm still in the there. Points. I'm still in there. I'm still hanging in. But I've got terrible three cards. I got terrible cards to play right now. There's a three and a one. Play that high card. You're good. <laughs> What high card? <laughs> the one you've been what hanging on to. Card? Obviously, the one you were waiting to spring on them at the when they least I expected it. I hadn't used it earlier. Now I'm Yay. All right, CCD at minus two. Hey, I got the four hand Evan at seven. Yay. Good job. I'm at positive three. Yay. It's a quick trick-taking round each time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what is this about a blind bid, Ed? Well, each round, you're basically uh, bidding on the two cards that are up for auction in a way. You have a hand of cards, and everybody's going to pick a card that they're going to bid or use for that round, but they're doing it simultaneously. You don't know what the other people are going to use. That's right. So that's why I call it a blind bid. So you're bidding for the two cards on auction, and you're deciding what you're going to want to do without knowing what the other players are going to do first. Right, so it's a little bit different than a trick-taking game where the cards you take are the ones that were played. In this one, the cards you take are the tide cards sitting in the middle, which are different from your hand, Mm -hmm. which are the weather cards. It's interesting, and what I liked about it, it's very different from other types of card games with these types of mechanics that we've played. It's sort of, it's similar but different enough that it made it unique. I was thinking, you know, you're thinking your standard trick-taking games, carts, spades, but this game is not so streamlined. It's not so narrow-minded. Sometimes you want the trick. Sometimes you don't want the trick. 
And really, it's that second highest card right. that really throws you. Yeah, because yeah, it's like, it's like I want to be first, but I don't want to be second. So what do I play? <laughs> yeah, it really, yeah. it really tests your uh, your risk level. Yeah, and, and, and a little bit of psychology going on. Okay, what is he, uh, he going to play? Does he really need that card? I'm like, sure, it would benefit him, but he doesn't really need it. I really need it. So I'm going to go all, all out for it. And your strategy can change card to card, not even hand to hand, mm-hmm. card to card. Mm-hmm. I want, I must have this card right now, but the next, very next card you play, I cannot have that one. Right. I have to go the exact opposite and You direction. want to duck it at all possible. You'll play your lowest card that you have because you don't want anything to do with those cards. And yeah, and that, oh, that mechanic is interesting that it keeps changing from round to round. Very much so. And those middle cards, the numbers, you know, 25 through 40 of the 1 to 60 of the hands. Oh, man, are those so so difficult to predict how those are going to wind up? Yeah. I could play a 25. It could be the lowest card or the highest card. I have absolutely no way of knowing that. But that's how they actually give those cards the life preserver tokens on that determine the strength of your hand. If you have a lot of those middle cards, you're going to have a lot of life preservers, which, if you play your cards out right, could net you a lot of points. So it's an interesting balancing me- mechanic uh, between the life preservers and those middle cards, which are tend to be the hardest to play. And it gets even more complicated than that because <laughs> let's say, you know, the highest card out there sitting there that's going to drown is already in somebody's hand. It's a, it's a 12, right? Now I have an 11, so I'm fine as long as the 12 lives. But if... M- Let's say Mike has it. As long as Mike doesn't get one of those cards, I'm fine because Mike's 12 is still going to be showing. But if Mike's 12 goes away because he gets one of these cards, then I'm done. So now I can't just count on whether or not I can duck the card. I have to wonder whether Mike's going to grab the card. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. while, While you're ducking, somebody else might be grabbing, making it bad for you anyway. Yes, exactly. There is this point, though, where, you know, you get saddled with the 12 somehow, and then you're stuck with it for multiple turns in a row because nothing that's coming up is even going to, you know, you're not going to be able to win the cards that are coming up that'll drop your card below that 12, or everybody else is showing a 6 or lower, and the cards are 8 and 10, 7 and 9, you know. Right. Well, (laughs) that's a good time to call some of the bad cards out of your hand, get rid of some of those trouble cards because you can do no worse. Right. you know, and hope and hope for the best towards the end of the hand with your with whatever good cards you have left in your hand. Mm-hmm. Which is another interesting mechanic in a game. Everybody can have the same set of hands that you had throughout the number of rounds you play. You can't argue that you had a worse hand and that's why you lost because everybody will play each hand. Well, as a whole, I'd like to make a, a slight argument against that. Um, uh-huh. So if you start with the best hand quote-unquote best with like lots of highs and lows and best of the four yeah, best of the four hands nobody's seen your hand yet nobody's seen anybody's hand yet you just happen to have the right. best hand after that point everybody will have seen everyone else's hand so the whole way you play your cards can be different depending on how good you are at memorizing the cards that are in play yeah that's true yeah if you have a Good memory. This you can find an advantage in this game. Having a strong hand, it definitely edges. You started with that strong hand. You have an edge going in. That's for sure. But can other people take advantage of the fact that hey, now I know that hand is strong, and actually 
might actually be able to use the knowledge that that hand is strong against them. Mm-hmm. How, so there's, there's still a balancing <laughs> factor there. Yeah, if you're a good card counter, you can mitigate some of that effect of a good hand. I can be a good card counter if I want to focus that way, but I generally, when I play games, would rather just not have to memorize a bunch of stuff. I kind of want to just play. This is a three to five player game. Every player gets 12 cards, so that means there's going to be minimum of 36 or maximum 60 of those cards in play. Mm-hmm. If you're playing with four people like we did, there were 12 cards we never saw. Yeah, I think they, they acknowledge some balance in this game where they have more life preservers in the middle set of cards and then none basically at the extreme ends. They, they at least tried to balance the game out, and you can see that. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury. Turn the tide. Mike? I don't really love games where memorizing cards is essential to victory, and I kind of forgot this game almost instantly after playing it, <laughs> so bury it. Ed? While I generally prefer doors for sale over turn the tide, I did enjoy the choices of when to take and when to duck the trick, so I'll dig this up for another play for now. Oh, that's right. Stefan Dora, who designed this game, mm-hmm. also designed for sale, which is wildly popular. Mm-hmm. Evan? Turn the Tide is a special kind of trick-taking card game. I don't know really how else to describe it. Uh, But it has neat twists, including the sharing of each other's hands, which I really like. It's my kind of four-player card game. I'll dig it up. Yeah, this game is so much trickier than it looks. The amount of interplay with everyone else's hands keeps it lively and social. Dig it up. Hey, if you have thoughts about Turn the Tide, Tides, trick-taking games, or sheep floating (laughs) around on Life Preservers, let us know. We would love to hear from you. Come and talk to us. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram, uh, where you can see funny pictures of this game and us. And check us out on YouTube, where we have a playthrough of this game. And watch us sink. Recently, we've gotten some new patrons, which are personal supporters of this show. If you want to become a supporter of the show, you can just go to the website and click on Become a Supporter. It gets you access to our patron-only podcast. Bonus points. Bonus points. <laughs> bonus points. Yeah. That's right. It is a exclusive podcast that we do just for our patrons where we talk about... Well, whatever we feel like talking about. That's right. Exactly. It's a much looser show. Yeah. So if you want to peek behind the curtain, it's n- it's not the clean and polished witch game for a show at all. Or toss a topic at us. You know, it's it's a free for all. We do whatever we want. So if you have something cool that you think we should talk about, throw it out at us. How many episodes of bonus points do we have? 40 right off the bat. Over 40 episodes. Yeah. And we have a fun mechanic that we developed for it. Our own podcast mechanic. <laughs> yep. That's right. It's a podcast <laughs> mechanic. That's right. And you have and to come to see it to find out what it is. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. It is exclusive. I can tell you that. And if you're looking for something truly bizarre to watch we are on twitch thursday nights playing a game we play trivia with the viewers while we're playing the board game it's a game in a game and you get to play themed trivia so if we're talking about a game about the ocean you're gonna get ocean trivia we're talking about space you're gonna get space (laughs) trivia 
If we're talking about rugs, that's right. Rug trivia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there was there rug, was rug trivia. trivia. Rug trivia. Just a lot of it. Yep. Oh, you know what? The world of rugs is big. That's our next podcast. That's right. World of rugs. <laughs> Which rug first? Hilariously huge world of rugs. Oh, wow. We got to come up with a good name for that. Like, uh, laying it down, world of rugs. Yeah. <laughs> Which rug first, Which right? Rug? It's on brand. That's the obvious <laughs> Would you like to pile on with us? <laughs> oh, no. See, it's writing itself already. Oh, boy. Just like the farm theme we had. <laughs> you know what? There's actually also a few episodes that are exclusive to patrons. So not just bonus points. <gasps> we hid some? There's like three or four hidden full episodes of which game first. Yes, that's right. The hidden gems. But you can unlock them by becoming a patron. It's so easy. And if you get a second, please subscribe to our Instagram, which is hopping. It's a great place to talk to us. We're on it every day, all day. Give us a rating or review on a podcatcher. That would be hugely helpful. Please, please, please. It brings us right to the top of searches, which is super helpful for adding new listeners, which is great for all of us so we can keep going. Thanks, guys. Thank Thank you all. Yeah. Our next game up is Hadara, designed by Benjamin Schwer, published by Hans M. Gluck and Z-Man Games in 2019. Number of players, 2 to 5, ages 10 and up. Playtime, 45 to 60 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us, what's in the box? There are a few different box covers here, but my favorite one features some generic but immediately recognizable historical leaders side-eyeing each other as they hover over their greatest cultural landmarks. Inside, we unearth a game board, five player boards, 162 epoch cards, five setup cards, five reference sheets. Take a break. There's a lot more to go. (laughs) Uh, 20 wooden markers, five per color, 62 coins, 40 bonus tiles, Bonus. <laughs> uh, 48 10 point value markers uh, 25 colonies 10 gold medals and a score pad a score pad that's right ed a score a pad, score pad. <laughs> Aww. and that's what's in the box well before we chisel this review into stone for future generations to venerate evan tell us how it's played in Hadara, players make history by growing their civilization's strength over three epochs in four key traits, military, economic, agriculture, and culture. Each epoch is divided into two phases where players decide whether to purchase a card and add it to their civilization or sell that card for cold, hard cash. In phase A, you choose from two cards from the top of each pile. The other card is discarded for phase B, where you choose from one card from the top of the five discarded piles to buy or sell. At the end of each epoch, your civilization will use the traits it developed to collect income, subjugate colonies, build statues, and claim achievements. After three epochs, the civilization with the most victory points will reign supreme and have bragging rights until the invention of the internet. (laughs) <laughs> in which Hadara 2 will be played, but we'll talk about that later. And then uh, <laughs> uh, all that matters is YouTube and Snapchat and stuff like that. Where, That's right. Uh, <laughs> your cultural achievements and things like uh, 
Dash, you don't matter anymore. Yeah, thumbs up, replace victory points. <laughs> oh, God, please, no. No, this is like a nightmare <laughs> I had. We played this game on Yukata, baby. Spark! <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> and you can see our playthrough on our YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Yukata can be good and bad for the look of a game. Sometimes it's very bare bones. It's a digital board gaming platform. I think you can play all the games on it for free, right, Ed? They're, yeah, they're all free. Yeah, it, it's a very sequential game. The look on the Yukata I thought was pretty pretty good for Yukata, actually. And there's a lot going on with Hadara. There's a lot of components. Your tableau is very active, and also the community player board is also very active. So they had a lot of things to kind of work out, and I think they did about as good a job as they could have on Yukata of making it happen. Oh, it saved us making a lot of mistakes by trying to figure out what our resources were and stuff each turn, that's for sure. Yes, it is a platform that rules locks, like Board Game Arena. And there are platforms out there like Tabletopia and Tabletop Simulator, which don't lock rules. Now, this game is a tableau builder. What does that mean, Ed? You're buying cards or element that is building your empire. So kind of like an engine building is another way of saying it. But you're, you're getting new cards to add to tableau. It gives you traits and abilities that allow you to buy and build more stuff later. Yeah. Yeah, and they're, they're enduring too. It's not just like you get a card and play it and it's over. It'll add to your overall economy throughout the game. Permanently adds ability to your empire. Getting a new trait that you can use. No, I'm getting more money every turn now. Or my military can now build those colonies. Yeah. Build the colonies? I don't think you're building those colonies. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that action is called pillage, subjugate. Yeah, yeah okay. Conquer those colonies. Subjugate it. They send a friendly uh, no, swordsman over there to say, hey, uh, you guys are paying taxes to me now. <laughs> that, that builds the village, I guess, right? And there's a lot to choose from in this game. Lots of oh, different yeah. ways you can go in building your empire. There's a, a culture wheel in the middle where it has five different kinds of cards you can choose from. And the game goes through two different like phases, as Evan talked about. And the very first time, you're looking at two cards from every pile. And you can decide whether you're going to buy or sell it. And then the other card you're going to discard, which is for phase two. And I think in that one, it's interesting because you, you got a choice of the five cards that are on the top. And you can say, E, I'm going to buy that card. It's awesome for me. Or the really into the game that I'm going to sell that card because I don't want anybody else getting it. And also that part of the game actually brings up a, a really important strategic thing that you have to be careful of is you're discarding those cards and other people will be able to come back and pick them up later. So you have to be very careful about when you discard a card into which pile. And and which cards you discard. I purposely discarded a card because I wanted to have a shot at it later. I couldn't afford it now. And it was clearly a better card than the other one. But I wanted to buy it. So I put it in the discard pile and hoped to have a shot. And I kind of kept my eye on that card. It's like, okay. I don't remember. Did you get it? I did, actually. Yeah, he did. I think it, I think it put him over the top by like two points, too. You're talking about no. a big victory point card, right, Ed? I knew I should have taken that card. Yeah, because there are big bonus point tiles are in some of the, the purple ones. Uh, feed your people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some good yeah you know, I, that problem. It's one of those end-of-era tallies, right? You have to make sure everybody's fed at the end of the era. Yeah, right? otherwise you have to throw your cards away. You can't, if you can't feed everyone, you got to get rid of people, and that's a, that's a terrible detriment. And It did happen to me. On a couple times, and I paid for it, that's for sure. 
I mean, the more people you have, the more effective you are. So, but, you know, if one of those people isn't farming for you, then uh, <laughs> all your guys are going to be starving. So this, it's one of those traits you got to keep an eye on. It's your, your, your agriculture. If you grow beyond your ability to feed your people, bad things will happen. But there's so many other things to concentrate on. <laughs> it distracted me from feeding people sufficiently. Oh, yeah. There's lots of currencies in this game. There's money. There's food. I guess uh, statue building. I'm not sure what that aspect Culture. is. Culture. Come on. You basically represent it by building an awesome <laughs> statue for your people. And there's military might and coins. Yeah. or That's one of the things choices you're going to have to make in this game. Because I basically decided I wasn't going to care about culture at all. That does eliminate one of your paths to victory because, yeah, because uh, having a balanced empire can earn you a ton of points at the end of the game. If you just focus on one thing, there is a bonus point thing for that strategy, but it's not as lucrative as the other strategy can be. It's the kind of game you have to play several times to f- sort of hone in on the best strategies to yield the most victory points because there's so many different ways to get victory points it's it's dizzy <laughs> yeah I, this board is so colorful it felt a little bit kid-ish almost and i honestly think it pulled me out of engagement a bit hmm. i think i would have liked it more if, if it did something artistically to represent the struggle of building a culture maybe or maybe they took a little of the um the brightness, the tone, the chroma down a bit. Or like a texture to it or something like that. I like civilization building games. So it's similar to other games I saw, which made a connection for me much simpler. But you're saying it's kind of a light or medium. Yeah, I, I think it's a light medium style Civ game. I know not everybody shares that opinion. But, yeah, well, uh, compared it, to it, other it, Civ games, <laughs> I mean, wow, this is way lighter. Evan, you thought the game was actually too busy. If you choose to focus on any one area, you wind up neglecting eight other areas that actually do require some level of attention. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it, it's overwhelming a bit the first time you play. At least that's how I felt about it. I think another factor in the game is we played it on Yukata, and a Spawhawk factor comes in. What I mean by that <laughs> is you're focusing on the interface in front of you with had a few buttons to go through and there's artificially a longer time between some of this stuff because we're supposed to do the first phase simultaneously with each other but instead each person was picking their cards in turn that would have only taken a few seconds in face-to-face play trivia time who first owned what country first owned new jersey and Extra bonus points. Bonus points. If you can tell me the actual name of the person <laughs> from that country who owned it. Oh, I know this one. What right, country so first owned New Jersey? And Evan, you get bonus points if you can say the name of the guy who owned it. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Ed, this says it's worth two victory points, the, the card that I got. Yeah, it was Bob New Jersey. That was Jer- the guy's name. Johnny yeah. Jersey. <laughs> it, it was Snooky. Snooky. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Hadara. Ed? I found the decision you are faced with interesting and varied as you try to chart your own course through time. I'm a fan of shift style games, and I'm going to dig this up for another play and see if it stands the test of time. Evan? 
There is a lot going on in Hadara, with lots of replayability and some neat features, such as the cultural dial mechanism. It was the length of the game that got to me. I was bored in the second hour of playing, but I'm going to just chalk that up to being us. So I'm going to give the game another try. Dig it up. Mike? I was a little bit worried that the wheel in the middle of the board was just going to be a gimmick, but it actually added a lot of interesting and subtle strategic choices, and I love that. So I'll dig it up. I found the theme of the game was too broad and vague to really make me want to work for it. I found myself losing interest in the symbology and the heavy numbers in this game. So I'm going to bury it. If you have thoughts about Hadara, cultures, civilization, civilization games, history. (laughs) (laughs) Starving populations. Plague, famine, disease. (laughs) Or even hit the color palette. (laughs) Come and talk to us. We're on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you and check out all our pictures on Instagram and this video of our playthrough on YouTube. Hey, everybody, we have a couple of special guests this week that we really are excited to talk to because we actually played their game quite a while ago, even though it's live on Kickstarter right now. If you want to hear our review, you can catch it on one of our older episodes. Just hit the search on our website. But right now, you can grab a copy through Kickstarter if you want to back these guys. Welcome to our show, Rob Doherty, the CEO of White Wizard Games, and Debbie Moynihan, the COO of White Wizard Games. You guys are on Kickstarter right now with Kapow. That's right. The fast and furious, super-powered, buildable dice game. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Kapow. Kapow. (laughs) Hi. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. And thank you for that early copy. Uh, Mike, where did we get that copy? Uh, we were at Boston Fig. Yeah, and that was actually before Kapow was a, a White Wizard game. Um, we were at Boston Festival of Indie Games showing off uh, uh, Star Realms and our other games. And there was a, a booth right next to us. And uh, Debbie was like, hey, I recognize that game. So the original Kapow Volume 1, and on this Kickstarter, we have Volume 1 and Volume 2, but Volume 1 was kickstarted previous to the Kickstarter that we're running now by a company called Two-Time Porcupine, and they were running the booth just in the same row, in the same row as us uh, at Boston Festival of Indie Games. And I had seen it on Kickstarter, and I had actually thought about backing it. It has customizable dice, which are really cool. As you're playing, you're like adding faces to the dice, and you're getting additional dice. And I was like, oh, that looks really cool and it had superheroes and villains and the art was awesome <laughs> but i was like oh those dice i i'm an engineer so and by background i'm actually a mechanical engineer and i've worked in manufacturing plants and i thought those are gonna be really hard to make i don't know so i backed for a dollar and i didn't i didn't end up getting the game but here i was looking over at their booth and it was super popular <laughs> i should have backed this and you know so i went over to talk to them and I said, would you ever work with, you know, a publisher? Because your game seems awesome. And they said, yeah, well, we would consider it. I mean, <laughs> and it also was a really good fit for the type of games we make. Like, basically, uh, yeah, obviously, our most popular game is Star Realms. Mm-hmm. Star Realms is very quick to play. You can sit down. You can play in, like, 20 minutes. Another really nice thing about Star Realms is you can teach a non-gamer how to play very quickly. I understand you guys have made a lot of tweaks to the game since the version we got. Is that right? Yes. In Kapow, you have, uh, you're playing a superhero or a supervillain battling against each other. It's a two-player game, so you're playing uh, 
head to head against each other. And each superhero or supervillain has a starting health total and they have a starting set of dice. And each turn you roll all your dice behind the screen and you have a board where there are little sim symbols like little fists and arms and dodge symbols and shields and such. There are various abilities that you can activate, attacks, defenses, and power-ups that you can activate by placing dice on those symbols. And so you roll your dice and you just simply match symbols on your board to do stuff. Very intuitive. The rolling the dice behind the screen was so much fun. <laughs> like that really appeals to me. The turns are simultaneous. Both players roll their dice at the same time. And basically you're placing your dice and coming up with your strategy. What are you doing for that turn? Do you want to do a big attack? Do you want to attack and defend? Do you want to buy more dice so you'll be more powerful in future turns? The decisions are sometimes nerve wracking. <laughs> it's like, ah! I'm all about building do? my engine. And I love the simultaneous play pit. That's really fun when both people are engaged all the time. And there's this sort of big reveal moment every turn where basically both of you like lift up your screen and you get to see how your plans and their plans uh, intersect. <laughs> yes. It is very theatrical, that big reveal. It has the real comic book yep. feel because the art is always bringing you into that. And that big reveal, like it's almost like a big uppercut punch and the guy barely blocks it. And, you know, it, it feels like the action scenes from a panel of a comic book. Going first is a big deal, especially towards the end of the game. It provides a really cool tactical uh, element there where you're like, do I want to grab the initiative right now? The flavor of the person with the lower health going first was a little weird. Because um, <laughs> like if someone's beaten down, they're usually not, you know, jabbing in quickly. It depends on the moment in the narrative. Oftentimes of course, of they course. do, right? So after the all is lost moment in the yes, narrative, yes. they do go first. So yeah. all of that helped theme inform play. So I'm curious about the art. Did you guys do something new with the art? Yeah, we actually really loved the art from the original game. So in the we created all new heroes and villains in volume two, and we worked Ooh. both with the original artist and we also did some work with our lead artist in-house as well. And we're thrilled. I, I think one of the things about the heroes and villains that the two-time porcupine guys create is they're very unique. You know, you look at them as like, oh, it's not just a knockoff of an existing superhero mm -hmm. and in a, in a really interesting way. So when people look at the heroes and villains, they're like, I want to be this one. <laughs> you kind of know right away, like, I want to be like this punk girl with the electric guitar, you know, or... <laughs> You know, I, I love that about it. And I, I noticed that some of them kind of pay homage to like original, like cool superheroes and villains that people recognize, but still have kind of their own unique twist. You can see all the art on the Kickstarter. Where are you guys? About halfway through the Kickstarter? So we started, launched on Tuesday. So I guess we're on day five now. Um, we're, we are fully funded, so uh, that's awesome. Yes, congratulations. Woo. Thank you. Uh, so you can jump in and back, and you know you're getting the goodies. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we got stretch goals up on the page, so. Yeah, gold bonus. Yes, exciting. Get your hands on those buildable dice. <laughs> uh, that's the favorite part for me. Being able to construct those dice is just so cool. It's like, let me make my own randomness or make it all the same, though it's not random. Yeah, I made a die with all the same symbol on it. So, Debbie, what's the best way for people to find the Kapow Kickstarter? Well, I always think the best way to find any Kickstarter is to use Google. 
and search for the name of the game. Thank you, Rob Dougherty and Debbie Moynihan from White Wizard Games for talking to us about Kapow, the fast and furious, super-powered, buildable dice game. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Our last game up this week is Up for Grabs. Who designed it? Nobody. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. Published by Game Development Group, Inc. in 2013. If anything was a global conspiracy cover-up, that name is... Number of players, two to six. Ages 14 and up. 14? Why? Legal reason. And no playtime listed. All right, Mikey G, tell us what is in this box. If you enjoy a good khaki-colored backdrop with some images that vaguely conjure up the feel of a deck of standard playing cards plastered all over it, this is the box for you. (laughs) As we delve a little bit deeper, we find a board, two decks of amazing cards, six pawns, and a six-sided die? And that's what's in the box. <laughs> Don't forget about the gold seal of excellence on the oh, box. That's, right? Oh, that's true. How could I miss it? We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. <laughs> talk about it right now because it's actually a good harbinger of what's to come. <laughs> on the cover of the box is also a seal, the gold seal of excellence. <laughs> <laughs> and who, who bestowed this gold seal of excellence upon this game? Was it the Excellence Council of the United States? No, it wasn't. Nor was it the United Nations. <laughs> it was the publishers of the game. Oh. Game Development Group Incorporated. <laughs> yeah, so they were able to self-critique to say, well, this wasn't a platinum level <laughs> game. But it's they're the being modest. At least, uh, at least like, they're being modest. That's good. It's like saying the podcast Which Game First has the Which Game First WGF gold seal of excellence. (laughs) God, such an old marketing strategy that never worked. I mean, now people will just look it up on the internet like, what is this seal? What is? Or they won't bother because they look at this. It says it right on the thing. It's the publisher's seal. (laughs) They made no attempt to hide that they were giving themselves the gold seal of excellence. And it is not a joke. They swept all their own game awards that year that this came out. (laughs) (laughs) Have we ever pre-talked about a game so much before actually talking about it? I don't think so. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Nope. We're too excited. (laughs) <laughs> tell us how this wait i have a pitch for it you did well before we tell you if this game is a royal flush uh. or, just, <laughs> or whether you should just flush it evan tell us how it's played up for grabs oh did we say four is the number four not f-o-u-r right. or f-o-r okay yeah we want to make sure everybody who does a search for this game because they're going to want to own a copy themselves of course knows that it has the numeral four <laughs> yeah yeah my copy's for sale. Yeah, because if you look for the word for, you're going to find two completely different games. Yeah, so it actually is important. Up for Grabs is a board game masquerading as a card game. <laughs> <laughs> or vice versa, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably a card game masquerading as a board game. <laughs> yeah. Basically, you want to collect the aces and faces. Yep. And you do so by landing on squares around the Monopoly-style board. And you can challenge an opponent to a duel, and there are other ways to collect the cards you need. It's fast-paced, constantly changing. You'll find yourself rapidly (laughs) gaining the cards you need and then losing them, Mike, just as quickly. It takes four cards to win. 
You either need four of a kind, you have to grab the four aces, or you need a four-card straight flush. Ace, king, queen, jack of hearts, or whatever suit. That's it. Mm-hmm. Now, and there's a reason why this game is called Up for Grabs, and in the next few minutes, you'll learn exactly why. <laughs> so where did you get this game, Evan? Oh, yes. Well, I happen to be at Goodwill. <laughs> and uh, taking a look at their games, you know, Celeste, I, thank you. You've, you've shown me the way of good, <laughs> old, and obscure game buying. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And there it was with, uh, how much was it? $1.99? <laughs> and this game was unplayed. Nobody ever played this game. They got it as whatever, the uncle's birthday gift. He said, oh, thanks. And then it went right to the Goodwill shop from there. The, the plastic was off of it, but nothing was touched on the inside. Right, the decks of cards were still sealed and nothing got touched. The pawn bag with the superfluous die in it was still sealed. (laughs) Why? Mm -hmm. There's a die in this game and it's used for what? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Your randomness generator is off the top of the deck. You flip the top card of the deck to generate randomness. So the, the die is completely superfluous. And I think it's because it also had the four of the most standard pawns you've ever seen. And I think that they come as a set. Oh, that could be. It's the sorry pawn. You're recognizing from sorry. (laughs) Right. Yeah, those are the exact pawns. And I've seen this particular set, like pack of pawns in other games before. So maybe they just mass produced them in the millions. And when, you know, people are assembling their game, they just pick from a whole bunch of Mm -hmm. priests, like standard parts that are in the warehouse. It must all be part of the gold seal of excellence uh, <laughs> right. award bestowed on it. <laughs> and possibly the ugliest decks of standard playing <laughs> cards I have ever seen. I love And that it. is saying something. I love these cards. <laughs> they had huge numbers on them. So, you know, huge. you could miss them from a mile away. You could tell yeah. which card is which. That was this game's best features is those two decks with the extra large symbols on them. That's right. Throw away your reading glasses. You do not need them with this game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the back of the card was like some bicycle knockoff. Uh-huh. Now that you've mentioned the cards, though, you reminded me of something that really irked me. Do you guys mind if I talk about this for a minute? Go for it, Mike. The game starts off with two decks of cards. One's red, and I think the other one's blue on the back. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And you extract all the face cards out of one of the decks, ace, king, queen, jack, and you mm-hmm. place those on the board. And then you take that blue deck that's partially looted and the red deck <laughs> that's full and shuffle them together. Already. <laughs> 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 that made me so mad. I'm like, wait, wait I, I, I insisted that we look through the rules again. Like, <laughs> like this can't be what they meant to do here. So you're saying that you were OCD with triggered? Oh my, it, it triggered me so hard. When have we ever played a game where you had to mix the two decks together like that? With different backs on them? Usually if a game has cards that you separate out first and then shuffle together with the rest of them, the symbols that you're looking for are on the front of the card, like on the face of the card, like a little marker or something like separate these out after the game. Not the back of the card where you can see that it's from one deck or the other deck, which you know if it's from the blue deck... <laughs> And you've taken all the face cards out of the blue deck. You're not getting you're not a face card. Get... Right. It just becomes well, a mechanism to move your meeple around the Monopoly uh, board. Well, if someone who's actually designing this game, the cards that are never going to be part of the deck would have a different back on them, while all the other cards would have the same back right, on exactly. them. Exactly. There's a point in the game where you actually have to, you land on a space and you can go again if you can guess whether the next card is higher or lower. And 
if it's coming from one of the decks where you're guaranteed not to have any face cards in it, then it makes that call a lot easier. It probably goes back to the idea that these are just standard components that they pick. Oh, yeah. Deck of cheap cards. Oh, let's get a red one and a blue one. That way people get two decks of cards, too. And it's more color for the game, which this game is sadly lacking. Yeah. Where the other game that we just played, Hadara, had too much color. This game has no color. It's like this off-putting beige. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think last week, the cook-off might have used yellow better somehow. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yes. Absolutely. And the board itself is so ugly. It is just a rectangle of the letters K, A, and J for aces, kings, queens, and jacks. Q, too. So have they, have they just kind of taken the components of a bunch of other basic games and th- tried to make one game out of this sort of war and cards? Why, and don't, you a- why don't you ask the designer, Evan? Oh, yeah. Let me, let me look him up. Oh. <laughs> Next. All right. I'm not ready to let the faces of these cards go. <laughs> You guys are like, you guys are like, I love it. Big, big letters. Easy to see. (laughs) It also has small numbers and it has four of the suit (laughs) shape on it. So yeah, no matter what the actual number is (laughs) on the suit, it's just four of them. So four diamonds on every single diamond card crowded (laughs) on this card face with two small sevens and two huge sevens. It is the most messy card you could imagine yeah it's awful it's like a kid designed it let's just put sevens all over it (laughs) not just off-putting like stress inducing if you like playing cards this is the most hideous thing you've ever seen how am i going to defend this um (laughs) you use the cards to move around the board so the number technically on the number cards is the most important aspect rather than the suit maybe Uh, is that If you had two large sevens and a single diamond in the middle, the card would have been just as useful and 10 times cleaner. Yeah. (laughs) Now, remember I said there were very few choices in this game. Let me tell you what your two choices are in this game. Okay. (laughs) When every turn you want to move, you flip the top card of the deck. And if it's a face card, you move to the space that has that face card on it. If it's a number, you move that many spaces, but you get to choose whether you go left or right. I know. Isn't that exciting, Mike? (laughs) So that's a huge decision. It's not a one-way street. I know. And the other choice you get to make is when you land on a space that says duel, you can choose who you're going to duel. And there you go. (laughs) Okay. So that's not a terrible mechanism because you can kind of get a sense of who's in the lead and you want to duel these people to keep, you know, to kind of keep them at bay maybe. You so don't need a board to play this game. (laughs) Exactly. Or a die. Yeah. I would argue you don't need to play this game. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. We haven't gotten there yet. (laughs) Yeah, we'll find out how Ed really feels when we dig it up or bury it. We have a picture of this game on our Instagram. I strongly recommend you check it out. (laughs) So sad. And that gold seal of excellence. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury up for grabs. Evan? Upper grabs is more of a clever idea than a game a person can actually clever. enjoy. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, you know, it had, I'll leave it at that. It, but it's too random and swingy. I mean, just moving pieces around a Monopoly style board is old hat. The victory feels unearned. <laughs> Bury it. Ed. I didn't say the only good thing about this, and it's marginal, is that you can get two decks of cards out of this box for a buck or two bucks if you got it at the fifth door. 
So I would take those two decks out and then bury the rest of it. <laughs> Extract it for its parts. Yeah, I've done that. As a game designer, I have a whole bunch of cannibalized games in my dresser. Mike? Why go through all the trouble of making a board when you can just buy a couple standard decks of cards and play war? Bury this. <laughs> this game brings to mind the Mark Twain quote about golf that says golf is a good walk spoiled <laughs> up for grabs is a good game of cards spoiled with a ridiculous board and a superfluous die bury it <laughs> if you have thoughts about how terrible this game is or card playing or uh giant card Giant, yes, giant numbers on cards. <laughs> Superfluous pieces in games. <laughs> or if you love this game and want to change our mind. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I change hear my that. mind. I love it. We want to hear from you. We are on Twitter. Come and chat with us. See our pictures on Instagram and check out our videos on YouTube. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing from you about all things gaming and gaming adjacent. If you'd like more content, including exclusive episodes of an exclusive patron-only podcast. Bonus points! Bonus points pointing at you. Just go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. If you get a chance, please leave us a rating, a like, a review, a heart, a shout-out anywhere online. It really helps us. Join our chat on our Discord server. Everything's right there for you on our website. We are at Which Game First, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Happy gaming, explorers. Hey, Celeste, is that a seven of diamonds? <laughs> Sorry, guys, I have to run. I have a full house and somebody made a royal flush. <laughs> <laughs>